G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is part two of a special episode wrapping up the seasons of 16 clubs who will not be part of next weekend's AFL Grand Final. That, of course, being contested between Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. Plenty to talk about, though, for 16 teams whose seasons are now officially over the highs the lows, what worked, what didn't, areas of potential improvement for 2022. As I say, very good morning to my co-host, Mark Fine. We're moving up to the upper echelons of a ladder now, Fine. should be pretty interesting analysis. Yeah, it actually will be because there's going to be some real disappointments amongst these eight teams, sides that did not perform as well as expected and... There's going to be some good news stories, sides that certainly were not expected to finish as high as they did. So it'll make for interesting listening. All right. Uh, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. And we've got some early grand final odds from the boys at Palmerbet. Uh, a week and a half out from the big day, the head-to-head odds on the grand final. Melbourne, pretty warm favourite at this stage. The Demons paying $1.64 head-to-head with Palmerbet. Western Bulldogs, the outsider for the big one, paying $2.27. I wonder if that will come in in the next week and a half. We've got some other wonderful sponsors too, haven't we, Fanny? We do. Gee, there's some juicy value there for the doggies. Well, speaking of juicy, how about the meat patty that sits proudly at the centre of an Andrews hamburger? 100% pure beef, and it is juicy and succulent and part of the best burger in town, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And if you're wanting a house to make the rest of the street green with envy, then think no further than West Point Properties. The boys, Nick Bartels and the team, love their footy. They're looking forward to the grand final and they're looking forward to giving you the best possible rebuild or renovation. Contact West Point Properties. Our other official podcast partner is Stats Insider, a sports and data-driven industry leader providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. That includes the English Premier League, where the futures model is currently assessing Manchester City as having a 54% chance of winning their fourth title in five seasons. Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for their full-season AFL projections, which now include this year's Brownlow medal, and in which Marcus Bontempelli has a 23.3% chance of becoming the 11th Bulldog to win the prestigious award. 
Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything's free to use on the site. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. Okay, we have another eight teams to get through. Let's get stuck in. Finishing in 10th position in 2021 was St Kilda with 10 wins and 12 losses. Points for the Saints ranked only 12th for points scored this season and fewest points conceded. They ranked 10th in that regard. The high for the Saints, I thought it was the round 21 win over Sydney by 29 points at Marvel Stadium, one of a few occasions only this season, the Saints really cranked up and played to the sort of level we'd become used to last year. The low, well, the lows for the Saints this year were pretty crushing and no doubt the standout uh, was a shocking loss to the Western Bulldogs in round 10 at Marvel by 111 points. Uh, injuries seem to be a fairly consistent theme for your mob this season. Finey, tell us what was going on on that score. Well, one of the big planks to their success in 2020 was the ruck duo of Marshall and Ryder. That never got going. Marshall missing nine games, mainly because of a foot injury and for various reasons, Paddy Ryder missing 10 games. Jay Gresham, one of the Saints' best small players, Unfortunately, did uh, the dreaded Achilles tendon and he missed 19 games. Zach Jones provides a lot of run. He couldn't do that in nine games. And Hunter Clark, who copped that fearful bump from David McKay in the game against Adelaide, subsequently missed most of the season, only came back for a game or two and in total missed nine games. But with 39 players used, they had a look at a fair bit of the list. They brought in some older stock from other clubs. That didn't work. I'm talking predominantly about McKernan and Frawley. Mason Wood actually showed a little bit, but got injured. I don't know what his future is. And all in all, apart from uh, the recruitment of Brad Crouch, who worked out pretty well, he had a good season, averaged over 26 touches in his 20 games. They probably didn't hit the right button at the recruiting table. Well, there's only one way to assess St Kilda's season, and I think that is a definite fail, uh, certainly after reaching finals in 2020. Brett Crouch, as you mentioned, they got some value from him. Jack Higgins had a few moments, but uh, the other two were big busts, and that was Sean McKernan and James Frawley, so might need to revisit their list strategy. Uh, Some obvious pluses, Max King, 38 goals from 20 games, uh, really exciting prospect, and uh, some surprising ones too. Mid-season draftee Cooper Sharman thought he looked pretty good towards the end that final month of the season. Tom Highmore in defence uh, showed that he can be a part of long-term planning. Uh, the other one that impressed me was Jack Sinclair moving to half-back. But uh, not a lot of positives out of a season when you consider that the Saints made finals last year and, in fact, won a final. It certainly wasn't the backup year we were looking for. Well, the positives that you mentioned are something to look forward to for St Kilda supporters. Definitely Highmore out of the back line. And what a surprise packet Cooper Sharman turned out to be. He could be the perfect foil for King and Membry up forward. 
King finished the season in really good form. That first quarter against Geelong has St Kilda supporters very excited. But they need more run out of the midfield. There's no question about that. They cannot expect Hanabry to be a regular footballer. He hasn't played a couple of games. He's really uh, a luxury that almost they could not afford. Zach Jones needs to be up and running. Uh, what St Kilda, I think, are going to have to do is rely on the draft. They don't have a big hand, but I think that's where they're going to have to turn because whilst the list isn't old, there is a danger that they are reliant in part on some pretty ageing and wearing bodies. Yeah, no doubt. They're really on a knife's edge, I think, with their whole list strategy. And uh, it's interesting that the experienced recruits we saw play such a big part in how they went in 2020. Well, it was the other side of the coin. I thought the um, dangers of that strategy were really driven home this year. One bloke we haven't mentioned and must mention is Jack Steele because he was absolutely outstanding leading from the front and just a consistent presence in the midfield the entire season. That, of course, was rewarded with All-Australian selection. But, uh, gee, hard to work out which way the Saints are going to go next year, Finey, because uh, there are arguments both ways, but I think they've got to be very, very careful about what they do recruiting-wise. Final few thoughts from you. Well, interestingly, Jack Billings has re-signed at St Kilda, and I think that might be more symptomatic of lack of interest from other clubs rather than St Kilda making a big financial play for him. He'll be on a reduced rate. The fact is that St Kilda, if they get their best 22 on the field, still feel that they're highly competitive. And as you pointed out, a key game against Sydney can back that up. The question is whether or not they get that team on the field and how well it can match up to the form of 2020. There's a lot of unanswered questions at St Kilda and a lot relying on the very big frame of Max King. I think St Kilda's future spirals a lot around how Max King performs in the next year or two. All right, that was 10th on the ladder, St Kilda, in 2021. Let's move to 9th. Coming in at ninth position on the ladder, West Coast with 10 wins and 12 losses. Points for the Eagles ranked ninth in terms of points scored and fewest points conceded. Well, that uh, watertight defence was certainly less than that in 2021. The Eagles ranking only 14th in that statistic. The high this season for the Eagles thought it had to be the round 13 home win over Richmond, uh, when the Tigers were going okay by just four points, certainly one of the games of the season, a very, very high standard game of football and one in which the Eagles prevailed in a thrilling finish. And the low, well, there are a couple of crushing lows, two in particular, both at Geelong's home of GMHBA Stadium, but only one against the Cats. That came early in the season. The far less expected one was a 92-point belting at the Cattery against Sydney in round 16, in which the Eagles looked absolutely disinterested and could manage only three goals for the game. Uh, What about injuries this year, Fonny? How big a part did they play in the Eagles' demise? Unfortunately, too big a part. When I say unfortunately, because they did have a couple, but to be fair, comparing it to other teams, nothing out of the ordinary. Luke Shuey, the standout. Missed 15 games. That midfield cannot afford 
no Luke Shuey. Elliot Yo missed the first 10 games of the season. So I guess that's where the main losses occurred. Jeremy McGovern missed seven games. Shannon Hearn missed seven games. But Shannon Hearn is an ageing body and McGovern too is starting to show the wear and tear of a quite long football career. So they really rely a lot on having their best 22 out there, Rowan. And unfortunately, they weren't able to do so regularly, but they weren't that far off. 37 players used, heavy reliance on having the midfield up and running shows lack of depth. Well, I thought their season ended uh, in a, a fair bit of disrepair. The Eagles lost seven of their last nine games, missed the finals, of course, for the first time since 2014. A couple of bright spots. Uh, Josh Rotham, I thought, uh, improved as a defender. And uh, a few prospects for the future turned up, and all of whom had their moments. Harry Edwards, Luke Foley in midfield, Luke Edwards, and to a lesser extent, Xavier O'Neill. I think the big worry for them, though, was their game style, which really got exposed. The Eagles just got picked apart in defence uh, without the ball. They ranked bottom four for conceding opposition disposals and marks. Their pressure wasn't good enough, and I think that's a legacy of that uh, relatively uncontested brand, possession brand of football they play. Uh, and their tackling was poor too. A lot of broken tackles uh, were noticeable uh, when the Eagles had to defend this season. So some question marks over the list, some question marks over the way they play their football, I think. True. Uh, apologies. I did leave out Liam Ryan, who missed eight games. And we know that Liam Ryan at his best is almost unstoppable. And he wasn't able to get a good run at it this year. A bit of optimism in that Willie Rioli returns for 2022. And hopefully he can return to his scintillating best, which is almost unstoppable as well. It gives a different dimension to a forward line that looked a little bit stodgy. I think there were a few disappointments this year for the West Coast Eagles. Nick Natanui, he's a wonderful player, but he didn't, I believe, show the sort of leadership and match dominance that he's capable of. Oscar Allen, much touted, was okay this year, but probably finished the season in a bit of a funk, as did Jack Darling. Does Josh Kennedy go on? He probably does, but it does make for an ageing sometimes injury-prone forward line. And they do feel like an old team that is creaking a bit. They need some inspiration. Whether Willie Rioli, can one player do that? You know, sometimes that can happen. And when you think of a forward line with Rioli and Ryan and Cripps fully functional, it becomes a more exciting prospect. I don't think that they're necessarily that far away from being a powerhouse again. Yeah, I find them an interesting case study, a little like St Kilda. In it, I could see it going either way. They're certainly on the older side in terms of age. That's an issue. And like a lot of sides who've been consistently reasonably performed, they pay a price for that durability of their senior players. That is, the younger players probably don't get enough opportunity and haven't had the time to really establish themselves. So if they do have a spate of retirements at that top end. I'm not sure if they're well set up enough yet to be a serious player in terms of uh, certainly a top four berth next year. Going to be interesting. The home ground advantage always helps. 
wasn't as good for them uh, the last couple of years. But uh, an interesting case study, the Eagles. I can see their season in 2022 going either way. All right, that is the end of the sides that didn't make the finals. What about those who did? Coming in in eighth position was Essendon with 11 wins and 12 losses for the season. Points scored, or well, big turnaround in terms of hitting the scoreboard. The Bombers kicked some decent scores during the season and finished fourth in the AFL for points scored. Points conceded. They did tighten up defensively a fair bit too. They finished ninth in terms of fewest points conceded. The high, well, uh, in my view, it was a round 20 win, round 21 win, sorry, over the Western Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium by 13 points. And that came at a time when the Doggies were going pretty well and the Bombers looked like they were destined to miss the finals. And that victory against the odds turned their prospects around the low. Uh, came earlier in the season, it was a time when they were still getting their game style right under Ben Rutten, and they got toweled up by Brisbane at the Gabba uh, in pretty wet conditions in round seven, that defeat by 57 points. Uh, what about injuries, Finey? Uh, the Bombers didn't seem to fare too badly on the injury front this year. You know what? A really interesting case study, because if I would have said before the season that the Bombers, who appeared not to have a huge amount of midfield depth. We're going to be without Dylan Shield for 13 games and Andrew McGrath for seven games. You would have thought that that would be a major problem. Add Jai Caldwell, the recruit, only playing three games and question marks would have hung over that midfield. But that was the quality of this team, that they were able to make adjustments. And Ben Rutten needs to take a lot of credit for that. Brilliant year for Darcy Parrish, we know, and ably supported by Merritt. But the fact that they were able to pull Kyle Langford into the midfield, when we know he can do good work, and he did again. Jake Stringer, more than just a forward, did his fair share of heavy lifting in the middle of the ground, and the likes of Snelling as well going there to help out was able to cover those losses to the point where we now ask whether Dylan Shiel is actually a part of that best 22 when they're all up and running. So well done, Essendon, covering those players. To me, one of the biggest losses was during the body of the season, big ruckman Sam Draper. He missed nine games. He looked good before he got injured, great after he came back from injury. He's a long-term star, and maybe his nine games missing... Uh, were more impactful than some of those midfield games lost, Rowan? Well, there are a few elements to Essendon's season. And, and you have to say, uh, given that a lot of expectations had them finishing bottom four, this is a big tick for Essendon 2021. You mentioned Draper. They got enormous enthusiasm out of some other kids, a couple of draftees in Cox and Perkins and Harry Jones, who'd already been on the list a year. He, uh, fully fit, really showed his wares at centre-half forward. Three standout players, Darcy Parrish, rewarded with All-Australian selection. Zach Merritt got an All-Australian gong, one who probably should have got an All-Australian gong, Jake Stringer. He was terrific, not only up forward, but around the centre bounces. And uh, another inspired move from Ben Rutten, Jaden Laverde, uh, an injury-prone forward, moved to defence, and he was really solid all season down there for the Dons. As much as uh, structure, though, and personnel, I think this is a victory for attitude 
Uh, Essendon's effort, um, their desperation, their defensive qualities, I thought was so much better this season than I can't remember for how long. Uh, this was an Essendon side that was all clearly on the same page and on the same page as the coach. And I don't think Essendon people uh, would have thought that was the case for some time. So you could see the spirit and a new sense of resilience about this group. And uh, the confidence just grew as the year grew longer. So uh, big positives out of the season for the Dons, even though they lost another elimination final. And I think they've got a fair bit to look forward to over the next few years. They certainly do. And throw, throw in the very canny recruiting of Nick Hine. They lost Adam Saad and that run off the back line and Connor McKenna, of course, that run on the back line was well and truly replaced by that clever pickup from St Kilda, Nick Hind, who looked absolutely at home off the half back line and how unlucky to miss that final because of an ill-fated trip to a sandwich bar and COVID-19 restrictions taking hold. Look, it's not going to be easy for Essendon next year because I think they got absolute maximum return out of their back line from the likes of Laverde. Look, Redmond as well. Wonderful season, again, from this player, Zach Merritt. Can Parrish live up to his 2021 and 2022? Because he's now one of the best midfielders in the comp. Jake Stringer, he, a lot falls on his shoulders. All that being said, I think the excitement does come from Jones, Perkins and Cox. I can only see improvement there and Draper. So as long as the form that was shown by some of their mid-range players in terms of age can be held, I think the youngsters can push this team even further up the ladder. Well, a lot of excitement for Bomber fans over the off-season. All right, that was eighth. Let's move up to seventh. In seventh position in 2021 was Sydney. 15 wins, eight losses, points scored. Well, the Swans have never been a high-scoring side, but they turned into one in 2021. They finished third for points scored, and they were tight defensively too. Fewest points conceded. They ranked sixth in that statistic. The high, well, there were plenty of them. They had some great wins. I thought the pick, though, and certainly in terms of shock value, was a 45-point flogging of defending Premier Richmond at the MCG early in the season in round three, a day in which the Swans' kids all fired. And we thought, wow, what's happened with this team? The low, well, not too many of them. One pretty ordinary performance, though, coming at home at the SCG in round 13, and that was a 38-point defeat at the hands of Hawthorne. What about injuries? Uh, Buddy Franklin, probably the biggest name there, missing games for the Swans' finding. You know what? They had a pretty good run with injuries, Rowan. Buddy only missed five games for the season, and a couple of those was uh, a case of management. Unfortunately, though, they copped their injuries at the wrong time of the year. And by the time they hit the finals, this fairly settled lineup had to go in without Kennedy, Mills, and Blakey. So, unfortunately for them, whilst they had a good run throughout the year at the wrong time of the season, injuries hit. They used 37 players, which is about average for the competition. And, of course, one of their key players now looks like he might be returning to Adelaide in Jordan Dawson. And that would be a tremendous loss because 
his ball usage was one of the real features throughout the season. I know we'll go through players that impress, but he's right up the top of the list. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Going to take some work replacing him. Great user of the footy. Uh, this was all about the kids for me. They were just so exciting. I, I think the Swans have got the most exciting group of youngsters in the competition. Errol Goulden seemed to come from nowhere and made a huge impact right at the start of the season and then late in the season, particularly good. This kid I absolutely love, Justin McInerney. He is going to be a superstar, I reckon. He was terrific as well. Sam Wicks, really solid. Chad Warner had some fantastic games before he got injured. Uh, and that was all in addition to the mainstays. Luke Parker, outstanding season from Luke Parker. And small forward, Tom Papley, the man leading the charge near goals. He was rewarded with All-Australian selection. And the older hands, finally, really seemed to get a G up and an extra spring in their step um, because of the example of those kids. It was a fantastic blend and they played a fantastic brand of footy. I mean, for so long, we've talked about the stodgy swans and the contested team, but they really developed some outside run and excitement, hit the scoreboard freely. And uh, they were a joy to watch this season. I really, really enjoyed watching their whole campaign. How did you find them? Look, super unlucky to lose in the first week of the finals, hitting the post a couple of times, going down by the barest of margins to cross city rivals, GWS. And, there's a school of thought that said if they would have won that game, they would have regained Kennedy and possibly Mills and could have gone quite deep in September. So the future looks very bright. I think that they do still have a reliance on Buddy Franklin. In the first week of that, in that first final, for example, the first half to show that they are a little bit Buddy-centric when the sort of stakes are raised and they need to get over that because how much football he has left is debatable. I've, as you, been very impressed by the youngsters they brought into the team, but there still is a reliance on Kennedy and Parker in the middle of the ground. Can they get anywhere near the return they got from Tom Hickey, who was brilliant and I think quite unlucky not to be an All-Australian. So, they did have some real high points with their youth. I think still there's a bit of a reliance on an ageing nucleus in that team that does give me some cause for concern. So I'm not as bullish as you are, but I will say this, that those youngsters are their future and that is bright. Yeah, I think the sky's the limit for this group. Uh, I think those kids will continue to improve. They're a very solid club. They're very well coached by John Longmire. And I think uh, those kids will stay the course. We won't necessarily see the same ups and downs with young players that we do elsewhere in the competition. Uh, it's a good point on Buddy. There's still clearly a reliance there. There's got to find a replacement uh, key forward. But they have one of them, Logan McDonald, who we haven't mentioned yet. And he looked really impressive in uh, several games during this season as well. So uh, I think they can go on with it. And uh, what a remarkable and remarkably quick rebuild it's been by Sydney under John Longmire. All right, that was seventh on the ladder. Let's talk about sixth. Finishing in sixth spot in 2021 was Greater Western Sydney, returning 
to the finals after a year outside the eight. They finished with 12 wins, 11 losses and one draw. Points for the Giants finished eighth in terms of points scored and fewest points conceded. They ranked seventh. The high, well, it came late in the season, but what a fantastic win it was against Geelong at GMHBA Stadium, no less. The supposed fortress of the Geelong Football Club in round 21. And that really set up their tilt at a final spot. The low, it came in uh, a savage thrashing in round 11 at the Gabba against Brisbane. That one by 64 points and finals certainly looked a long way off for the Giants at that stage. Tell you what though, Finey, talking about injuries, that was an absolute byword for the Giants, as it seems always to be. But boy, did they have some injuries in 2021. They certainly did. Let's discuss their relevance. Stephen Canilio missed 17 games, but his future at that club, whilst not in doubt because he has a long-term contract, there must be some questions about what role he plays going forwards. He looked way off the pace in his return in the finals. Jesse Hogan missed 15 games and he's an injury-prone footballer. They certainly look better with him, but whether they can rely on him as a regular starter, I'm not sure. Same goes for Phil Davis. He missed 13 games. We're starting to see a bit of a pattern here of players missing that are unfortunately injury-prone. Look, one player that wasn't mentioned a lot in terms of their injuries towards the end of the year, I think was a huge loss, was youngster Jack Buckley, who did his knee. So he's going to miss a fair bit of 2022 as well. He did miss the last nine games of the season. Brent Daniels has ongoing hamstring problems. He missed 11 games. Toby Green missed six games. And we know most of that was self-imposed. And there's a fair bit of talk about exactly what role Toby Green has next year, whether or not he can captain a side with his disciplinary problems. Tom Green missed six games. He's a real bright spark for the future. And Lockie Whitfield missed the first seven games of the year. But that silk makes all the difference when he's in the team. What a brave performance by a side that was 0-3 with all those injuries. They used 39 players, Rowan. They had a look at plenty, but I think we know what their best 22 to 26 is. Yeah, and it's changed a fair bit even since that grand final appearance a couple of years ago. Look, I, I think one word for GWS this year, and it's resilience. And uh, that's probably the best tag you could have for them because they haven't been seen as a side that's been particularly resilient over the years, but they had to show a lot this year, particularly after losing their first three games, then all the injuries, and they just kept hanging in there. I mentioned the mid-season belting at the hands of Brisbane. They kept bouncing back, and they finished the season so strongly. They won five of their last seven games, including that thrilling elimination final win over the Swans. Um, we saw the further emergence of some wonderful young players. Iden in defence, Lockie Ash, uh, Isaac Cumming, you know, these are the guys who will be the foundation of this side for the next decade. So uh, really, really positive signs. And hats off too to Coach Leon Cameron. I don't think any coach was under as much pressure as he was heading into this season. Uh, 2020 having been a bit of a shambles for the Giants. He was under so much pressure. But he marshaled his troops brilliantly. They responded. Uh, they found... 
uh, talent in places we hadn't necessarily expected. We're no longer talking about a Ferrari with the Giants. We're talking about a real nuts and bolts, typical AFL team. They've got plenty of blue-collar spirit about them. Still got plenty of class at the top end. And uh, you think they are going to be a feature at the top end of the ladder for some time yet? Yeah, look, the fact is I like this GWS side so much more than the old or the original blessed team with top 10 picks and number one picks and priority picks. This has got a real harder edge to it. A sort of, for me, a a blue-collar toughness that I hadn't seen previously in this side that I believe can take them all the way to the Premiership days. It's a nice mix. They've got a, a really good hard-working backline and a midfield that is committed with long-term commitments from the likes of Josh Kelly. I think Hopper and Taranto have grown and developed into top-class midfielders. I'm interested to see what direction they take with their ruck. Braden Priest didn't play a single game this year. I'm not sure whether he's the way to go. He hasn't played a lot of football at senior level anyhow. And maybe uh, a youngster like Kieran Briggs could be the answer. So they've got a few youngsters there that need to develop. But all in all, they're not far off the mark, are they? No, they're not. And a great finish to the season. Let's see if they can keep that momentum rolling into 2022. All right, the Giants finish sixth. Who finished fifth? In fifth spot in 2021 was Brisbane. They ended up with 15 wins and nine losses. They were the highest scoring team in the AFL. First for points scored. Fewest points conceded. Well, pretty tight defensively as well. They ranked fifth in that regard. The high for the Lions. Well, I think it came in that last home and away game of the season. They had to beat West Coast at the Gabba in round 23 by enough to pinch a top four spot. And they did it with about, I think, 14 seconds to spare, thanks to a snap behind by Lincoln McCarthy. The low, well, has to be that last game of the season, a home semi-final defeat by just one point to the Western Bulldogs. And uh, they certainly had a fair crack that evening, the Lions. However, uh, bowing out of a final series in straight sets for a second time in three years. Injuries, finally. Well, they had some injuries that really knocked them around at the wrong stage of the season and won before it even got underway. Well, the one you're referring to is Cam Rayner. And... Gee, he could have made a huge difference. He's such a, a live wire. And in a forward line that had so much variety, incredibly, he offered another form of goal kicking with his live wire marking and brilliance around the goals. Eric Hipwood, they were a different team after he was out of that side, weren't they, Rowan? I mean, they there were weeks that they were able to cover his losses, but from the day he went down against St Kilda or the night, they never quite looked the same and I feel that their papers were stamped thereafter. Marcus Adams was a bit of a loss. He missed, by the way, the last eight games of the season. Hipwood. Marcus Adams missed eight games. Lockie Neal, seven, interspersed throughout the season. But you know what? They only used 32 players. And actually, they had a, a pretty consistent run from the rest of their stars 
most of their players playing full seasons. So, yes, there were some injury concerns. One of them lingers into next year with Eric Hipwood, which is a concern. But that use, 32 players, clearly the lowest in the competition, way below the average of 37 and a half, does beg the question whether or not there's a lot of depth there. Yeah, I think that's a really good observation and certainly my biggest concern about them heading into next year because, as you say, 32, it's not many. And yet just a couple of injuries were enough to really knock them around. Dan McStay uh, missing that final, of course, with concussion uh, hurt them a lot too. Should you be as hurt by a couple of injuries if you're a bona fide top side? You know, one has their doubts. And they were a bit sporadic too. Certainly started off the season poorly, which put them under pressure in terms of having to continually win. Their best spell was, I guess, through the middle part of the season. They won 10 of 11 games between round five to round 16 and uh, had some big wins uh, leading into the finals too against lesser opponents. But uh, I wonder in retrospect whether that was the sort of preparation they needed because they were certainly found short in that qualifying final against Melbourne. And then, well, a bob of the head job to the finish line in that semi. But once again, and they've had a few very narrow finals defeats over the last three years. Uh, Luck certainly hasn't smiled on them. I wonder where they go from here, Finey. They are clearly a talented team. I just wonder sometimes about the uh, propensity for players to disappear when they can least afford to disappear. And Joe Danaher in his first season, look, overall, certainly good value for them, but didn't play his best football when it was most required. And I wonder if there's a few in that sort of regard. Yeah, I do. It's starting to become a bit of a concern. I think we've been highly impressed by the fact that Brisbane were quickly able to become a contender again over the last three or four seasons. But now there are genuine concerns as to the sort of depth of their challenge. And if they're losing a final at the Gabba, where they are so far better performed than at any other ground, you've got to ask yourself the question as to whether or not they can go on and win a premiership. I mean, the last couple of years has been the opportunity. They missed out on playing a grand final at their beloved home ground. They could have, had they gone further this year, made a claim or staked a claim over in the West. Now it looks as though the future again will be at the MCG. And I just asked myself, if they couldn't take advantage of the last couple of years, where does that leave them? Yeah, some interesting questions for coach Chris Fagan and the Brisbane Brains Trust to ponder over what will be a long summer. They will be ruining another missed opportunity. No question about that. All right, the Lions finished fifth. Let's talk about the team that finished fourth. In fourth position on the ladder after the final series, Geelong. 17 wins, eight losses, including finals. Points for the Cats ranked seventh for points scored, so a little bit down on previous returns. Fewest points conceded. Well, they're always strong defensively. They were again in 2021. They finished second for fewest points conceded, bettered only by Melbourne. The high 
I thought for the Cats, it was a consummate uh, smashing of Richmond at the MCG in round eight by 63 points and at a time when the Tigers were still in reasonable nick. That was indeed Geelong's second highest score of the entire season. The low, well, you don't have to go too far back for that. It came in a preliminary final belting at the hands of Melbourne in Perth by 83 points. The Cats absolutely hapless against the Demons in that playoff for a spot in the grand final. Indeed, that was Geelong's biggest loss of any description since mid-2014. And uh, boy, it's going to make the six months of the off-season feel pretty long indeed because that wasn't the sort of memory you want to go into summer with. Injuries, finally, uh, they had some injuries to important players at a bad time that really cost them. Well, there is one standout, but I'll get to him shortly. Uh, Jeremy Cameron had hamstring problems at the start of the season and towards the end of the season, and that cost him nine games throughout the year. Likewise, Mitch Duncan missed a big chunk of the season with a leg injury, and that cost him 11 games. There were also missing periods for Paddy Dangerfield. He was out of the side for eight weeks and for Zach Turley. But I think the one you're referring to, and it does show a real fragility to their back line, in fact, to their overall setup, was the last month of football that Tom Stewart couldn't play after he got injured. And unfortunately, uh, that player, more than any others for Geelong, really circumvented their bid for another crack at a premiership. And it does, as I say, show a fragility. They only use 35 players, three or four of those very much fringe players. When you consider Josh Jenkins, the long-forgotten Josh Jenkins, played a game this year. Young Sam DeConning appeared for the game, a game, Nathan Kruger. So like Brisbane... Real depth concerns as they continue to rotate the same 28 or so players in and out of the team. Well, real uh, depth concerns, real age concerns and real game style concerns, I think you'd have to say, after this final series. Look, it's become a bit of a ritual uh, dismissing the Cats and saying it's all over for them and they continually prove the critics wrong. But I think this might be the biggest test of that theory yet because... It was just something about that loss to Melbourne and to a lesser extent, the qualifying final loss to Port Adelaide, which showed them to be slow and uh, almost out of inspiration, out of ideas. Look, Chris Scott did say they were pretty banged up towards the end. Not surprising when your list is as old as the Cats has been. They're an efficient team. Uh, They play a a methodical brand of footy. We've talked about it a lot in recent weeks, the possession game the slow tempo, they like to control the pace of a game. But two sides, particularly Port Adelaide and Melbourne, were able to really expose the inadequacies of that when enough pressure is exerted on their ball carriers, particularly coming out of defence, they will turn the ball over and they will present scoring opportunities to the opposition. So they need more strings to their bow. And I think Chris Scott is very aware of that, but are those solutions necessarily bobbing up and presenting themselves? We've seen the likes of Quentin Narkle, Brandon Parfitt. We've talked about them for a couple of years now. Both have shown 
moments where you think, well, they are going to go on with the job. But both, unfortunately, have been a little bit erratic. We've seen kids like Max Holmes, given their uh, go this season, playing about 10 games or so. I think Chris Scott has to throw more opportunity to those younger players on the list. I don't think finally he has any choice. Yeah, but beyond Max Holmes and maybe Jordan Clark, who could be a want-away player anyway, I don't know whether they've got many young players to give those opportunities to, to be honest. Zach Guthrie's one of them. They gave him a chance in the finals and he played a decent game in their final appearance. Uh, here are some queries for mine. A decade almost of indecision or lack of a major move for a proper ruckman still leaves them wanting in that department. They need to address that if they're going to have another crack at a flag. I think we'll know where they sit flag contention-wise with what happens with their champion, Joel Selwood. He certainly, by the end of season 2021, started to fade. If they're going to reload for another crack at the flag, he probably goes around. If they start to think seriously about a long-term future, he might be asked to step aside, watch this space. Henderson, Dalhouse, they can't go on, surely. They need to make some deep cuts, Rowan. Otherwise, another attempt at a flag could see them floundering for three or four seasons thereafter. Well, a lot of hard thinking to be done by Chris Scott and co down at the Cattery over summer. All right, the Cats finish fourth and the last position to discuss in our wrap-up of the 16 teams that won't be part of the grand final is the team that finished third. Coming in third spot after having finished the regular season second was Port Adelaide. They finished with 18 wins and six losses from their 24 games. Points four, the power finished sixth in terms of points scored. Their defence was pretty good as per usual. Fewest points conceded, Port ranked third in that statistical category. The high... Well, it has to be what was a uh, very impressive qualifying final win over Geelong by 43 points at home and the power right on song that evening and looked to have very, very serious premiership prospects. The low, well, it came in the very next game and unfortunately, after a week off, the power produced arguably their worst performance of the season at home in a preliminary final against the Western Bulldogs, absolutely smashed by 71 points and never really in the contest after being jumped at the start by the Doggies. How did the power fare on the injury front this year, Finey? Well, have a listen to this. Wines, Boke, Eamon, Houston, Byrne, Jones, Burton, Drew, Alir, Alir, Jonas, Rosie, Bergman, Dixon, Lysette, Marshall... Georgiades all played north of 20 games. They had a pretty good run of it. Yes, they were without uh, Fantasia for nine games. Xavier Dersma missed half the season. And, of course, Zach Butters missed half the season. But they had a very good run of it injury-wise compared to most teams, Rowan. And, by the way, players used, 35. Pretty uh, low end there as well. 
Well, that would uh, concern them. Obviously, uh, Dersma and Butters, I thought their absences certainly had an impact. Uh, the thing that worries me more is, and it's been talked about a bit, Port are very, very good at beating the teams they should, not so good at beating teams on or around the same level. And in fact, it took until the last game of the season when they snuck over the line against the Bulldogs um, to show they could do that. And of course, the win over the Cats in the qualifying final, impressive. But I think the biggest deficiency was shown up in that shocking preliminary final smashing, and that was a midfield that is simply too thin on numbers. Wines and Boak, they held up that midfield all season and both were superb. But where does it go after that? Willem Drew, he's a stopper. He's not a game winner. Um, Dan Houston, solid. Again, not a game winner, I would argue. Carl Amon, terrific on a wing, but is he a player who can turn the tide out of the middle as such? Probably not. And that was really exposed against the worst possible opponent, the Bulldogs, who have midfield depth uh, to spare and probably the best in the competition in that regard. So that is a big issue for mine about where they can improve. Beyond that, I think they need support for Charlie Dixon in terms of key forward uh, colleagues. And uh, similarly, probably support for Aaliyah Aaliyah, who had an absolutely outstanding season rewarded with All-Australian selection. But as we saw in the preliminary final, if he can be uh, negated as an intercepting force, uh, I'm not sure there's too many plan Bs in that regard for Port. How do you see them? Yeah, I mean, they've got one really tough question to answer, and that is whether or not they sort of tap Tom Jonas on the shoulder and say, you know what, I'm not sure, Skipper, if you're in our best 22 because he looked a little bit wanting during the final series. That midfield, of course, does need bolstering. And I think for for too long, I'm, there's no doubt, Butters, Rosie and Dersma are a precocious trio of talented youngsters. But are they getting their hair must? That midfield requires some bolstering and they're of a an age and they've played enough football to get into the midfield. We know that Rosie and Butters mainly play up forward and it appears as though Dersma plays more as a wingman than an on-baller in the centre bounce. So do they look within and ask more from their talented youngsters, Rowan, or do they have to get into the trade market? And it will be in trade. They can't expect to draft ready-made midfielders do they look to trade in some midfield talent? Because the feeling at the moment is that there aren't many midfielders up for grade, uh, up for grabs during the trade period. No, it's the former option for me. Uh, those three simply have to take another step in their development and become more of those uh, starting choice midfield uh, players, I think, improve their contested games a bit. They do have a few too many flanker types who might flit through the midfield occasionally, I think. And you look at Fantasia and Gray in that regard as well. They and need Motlop. more. And Motlop, yep. Uh, and you've got to worry about his future. They certainly need some more soldiers around those centre bounces, no doubt about that. So a lot of thinking to be done for Ken Hinckley and the power over summer. Well, that is it for part two of our analysis of the 16 clubs 
which won't be part of the grand final, Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs to fight that out next Saturday. What of anticipation building up to that. If you're after the analysis of the season of teams 18 to 11 on the ladder, you will find that in part one of this special podcast episode uh, in pretty much the same place you found this one, part two. Of course, we have some wonderful partners here at Footyology and we are always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. What about the others, Finey? Give them a wrap. Well, bite into the best burger in Melbourne, if not Australia. They're so often at the top of those best burger lists. I'm speaking of Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street in Albert Park and uh, not far further afield because in the southeastern Melbourne suburbs, particularly Albert Park, Middle Park, South Melbourne, Port Melbourne and the like, West Point Properties and their wonderful rebuilds, thanks to Nick Spartels and the team. And another official footyology partner is Stats Insider, sports and data-driven industry leaders providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world, sampling an event 10,000 times to give you the best range of probable and possible outcomes. Their site's also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis and it's all free so check it out at statsinsider.com.au give them a follow on twitter at statsinsider uh of course we are very grateful to all our footyology patrons and you can become one uh by clicking on the various links to patreon on the footyology website or you can be a supporter Uh, on the official supporter page, wherever you are listening to this podcast. Thanks to Acast. Thanks to your company in this special two-part edition of Footyology. Uh, Have a great rest of the week and uh, weekend off, everyone. And we will return when we're back mid-next week to preview what should be, hopefully, one of the epic games of all time, the 2021 Grand Final. We'll see you then.